Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for the Single Tracks podcast. Today, it's me, Jeff, and Aaron. And we're also joined by a special guest, Dustin from Southern Wheelworks. Thanks for joining us, Dustin. Hey, thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking a bit about wheel building and specifically Boost 148. And Dustin is a wheel builder. His Southern Wheelworks company builds custom mountain bike wheels. And so I wanted to start off, Dustin, by asking you to explain a little bit about what Boost 148 is exactly when it comes to wheels and hubs and all that stuff. So uh, there's Boost standard for both the front and rear. The 148 is the rear spacing and basically what they've done is they've taken a 142 millimeter through axle hub and they've stretched it out to 148 millimeters wide now what's significant about it is they actually changed the hub shell not just the overall length from the end cap to the end cap so for example like a the traditional 135 millimeter quick release hub is the same hub body, the same hub shell mm-hmm. that's used on 142 hubs. So even though the hub is wider, really it's just the end caps grew okay. when they when they did that. Now when they went to 148, the hub shell itself has actually grown. So the cassette has moved out to the right a little bit and the brake rotor mount has moved to the left a little bit. So it, it really is more of a new standard and not just an adaptation what was the reason for that previous adaptation that you mentioned why didn't the flanges move out when they went from 135 to 142 uh they probably should have but i think they were trying to kind of keep compatibility with older stuff on the rear especially you know some of the first through axles were actually 135 by 10 the dropout faces were just flat like there wasn't a shoulder or anything for the hub to sit on Mm mm-hmm and when they went to 142, that extra seven millimeters was really just adding three and a half millimeters extra on each end that would fit into like a socket on the dropout. Okay. And so it made wheel alignment and getting the axle in and installing the wheel a whole lot easier. Hmm. But okay. the, the brake mount and the cassette free hub body didn't actually move. So why boost 148? What are the advantages and why is this new standard becoming so popular? couple reasons so the wider the wider spacing allows for wider tires so for like the new plus size bikes by moving that the cassette out you get a little more room between the chain and the tire basically and and it's also important to keep in mind with the new boost spacing the chain rings have actually moved out also on the front so you're getting a little more clearance kind of on both ends of the chain there that way as far as the wheels concerned by actually widening the distance between the two flanges on the hub where the spokes attach, it makes for a stiffer wheel. The claim is that it will make a 29-inch wheel, depending on who you listen to, anywhere from 15 to 20% stiffer laterally. Hmm. And so it's supposedly it makes a 29-inch wheel the same stiffness as a 650B wheel. Do you believe that claim, or do you think that's a bit 
inflated, just with your general um, knowledge. Maybe. <laughs> it's, it's definitely plausible. <laughs> because when they move those flanges out, it improves the bracing angle of the spokes, basically. Mm-hmm. So if you think, of, if you kind of look at a wheel from behind, if you're looking at the rear wheel, the axle forms basically the bottom of a triangle. And then the spokes on the right and left form the left and right sides of that triangle. Mm-hmm. Well, as you make that base wider, the triangle basically becomes more stable and you get a stiffer, laterally stiffer wheel that way. And that's, that's a pretty well-known fact. That's why single-speed wheels are a lot stiffer than geared wheels because the drive side flange can be moved further out since you don't have to make room for 8 to 11 cogs on that side. I mean, it seems like the spokes, I mean, the spokes are going to get a little bit longer. And if you imagine a hub that's like a meter wide or something, you know, that, that would be crazy, right? Like the spokes would get right. so long that that would be less stiff. So it seems right. a little counterintuitive that a wider hub is going to make a stiffer wheel. It, it does up to a point, though. So the flange spacing changes in, in the flange offset, basically, mm-hmm. have pretty small changes to spoke length. So going from a boost or a non-boost to a boost hub, you might see two or three millimeters difference. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's out of a spoke that's normally... You know, instead of it being 295 millimeters, it might be 297. So it's a pretty small change as far as length is concerned. But the bracing angle definitely steps up quite a bit. If you look at an Industry 9 rear hub, they were one of the first aftermarket companies to come out with a boost hub. The drive side angle went from 5.1 degrees to about Mm 5.7, which is actually a pretty big jump, even though it doesn't sound like much. Yeah. And the non-drive side also gets moved out, so it gets wider also, and it went from an 8.1 to 8.7. When it comes to offset, little changes do do make a big difference. Yeah, that was actually that was one of the questions I had was about the spokes becoming longer, but then I did the math and found that you know, you're, you're talking maybe, like you said, at most two millimeters in length. So is this, do you think boost is the future? I think so. There's really not any downsides other than lack of backwards compatibility. Mm-hmm. You know, the hubs are going to be a little bit heavier because they grew out, but I, I don't, I don't have weights on those, but I don't think it's going to be significant. It might be 15, 20 grams, something like that. Right. So is there a need, I mean, boost 148, it didn't like replace anything. We're not getting rid of any standards because boost is around now. So is there a need for all these different standards right now? Or do you think we're just kind of in a weird transition period where, We've got a lot of choices, but eventually three or four of them are going to win out. Yeah, I think so. I think I think we are kind of in a weird transition because there's still, you know, there's lots of new bikes coming out that still have the old standard. There's some that have the new. There's some that are mixed that I've seen. You know, we've got a test bike yeah. in now that has boost front spacing, but 142 by 12 rear. Yeah, I think especially with 29ers, I think boost is going to take over. With 650B, I kind of think it will there too simply because why not, you know, (laughs) even though it's not necessarily needed, if kind of everyone moves towards that, I think that's going to make everyone's life easier on the supply side. Mm -hmm. If DT Swiss only has to make one with hub instead of two, right. You know, they're going to like that when they're making their millions of hubs every year. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely does seem like, you know, the bikes that we've seen this year, the new bikes coming out 
almost every one of them is boost 148. I wonder just which standard is going to drop off first. I mean, it's not a question of if boost 148 is going to stick around. I mean, that seems kind of like a foregone conclusion now. You know, as far as stuff going away, the good news for the 135 and 142, I don't think those are going to go anywhere for a long time. Mm -hmm. Partially because there's thousands and thousands or millions, I guess, of of mountain bikes out that use those now. Mm -hmm. But also now that road bikes are finally converting over to disc brakes right they're using 135 and 142 on the back interesting so with road bikes with the change to 11 speed road which is different than 11 speed mountain which is convenient (laughs) um, the move to 135 spacing was a good jump for them because they went from 130 to 135 so they had an extra five millimeters to to play with flange spacing and the new 11 speed road free hub bodies are longer than the 10 speed so that on a traditional 130 hub, an 11 speed version is less stiff than a 10 speed. So huh. when they made the jump to 135, they gained that stiffness back and then some. Yeah, it's interesting to see how those standards bleed over. So getting away from Boost 148, what are some of the challenges that a wheel builder faces in building mountain bike wheels? Building the wheels itself is, is pretty straightforward. That's something that's pretty easy to learn, and there's lots of guides that kind of show you step-by-step how to do it. Mm -hmm. The biggest challenges of my job are communicating with my customers to make sure we're, we're talking about the same things Mm -hmm. and we have sort of the same, I guess, expectations, I guess you would say. Right. I build wheels for all sorts of different people from ladies that weigh 105 pounds and race cross country to 400 pound guys that are trying to get in shape. And, um, you know, I'll have people who will say, I ask about riding style, mm-hmm. for example, and almost everyone that rides a mountain bike likes to think of themselves as an aggressive rider. <laughs> and, and I found like every single one pretty much. But some of them, like it'll be a guy who weighs 280 pounds and he says he's an aggressive rider, but he's never had problems with wheels and he's only been riding stock wheels. Mm-hmm. That makes me think that either he's not riding very much or he's really not that aggressive. Right. <laughs> Because if you're just if you're a big dude like that and you're really riding hard, you're gonna break stuff. Yeah, it seems to me as a consumer that understanding all the options that are available. I mean, when you build a set of wheels, like you got to pick the hubs and the spokes and the nipples and the rims and all that stuff. And it just to me as a consumer, it seems overwhelming. So, how much of that is difficult on your end in terms of you know making all those decisions and understanding what's out there? For me, it's not that bad just because I'm, I'm kind of immersed in it all the time. Mm-hmm. And I kind of know all the little nuances of, of the different hubs and, and rims and things like that and things to think about that not everyone necessarily thinks of. Like if you're picking rims, like say, you know, stands for a long time, stands rims were kind of the go-to aluminum rims. Mm-hmm. But then as tires have evolved, they've kind of gone from being just normal tires that everybody converted to tubeless and now – Pretty much everything is a tubeless ready tire, mm-hmm. and some of them are using a UST style bead, even if it's not a certified UST tire. Those beads don't work well with Stan's rims. Hmm. And so, mm-hmm. if you know, I've had people who have bought Stan's rims or they had Stan's wheels in the past, and now all of a sudden they can't get their tires on because they're so tight that you just can't physically get them on, on the rim. Mm-hmm. So, understanding things like that, when it comes to hubs, there's maintenance. You know, how easy are they to maintain? Do you need special tools? 
there's noise, you know, some people like quiet hubs. Some people want as loud as possible. Right. <laughs> some people have never even considered it before. And then there's compatibility with different standards. Is it convertible? Are the axles convertible from 135 to 142? Mm -hmm. Is there a, a SRAM XD free hub body available? Is it six bolt or center lock? Stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah there are a lot of options for sure. And that's, that's definitely a big part of my job is kind of helping to steer people towards what fits their preferences and, and what they're looking for. Is tire choice something that you ask the uh, potential customers? Yeah, it is. Yeah, we do talk about tires partially for the fitment like we talked about, but also width. You know, if you're using a two-inch tire, you don't need a super wide rim. If you're using like the biggest tires you can find, you're going to benefit from a bigger rim. So on the subject of rim width, is there, I know the push now is to go really wide. And I I used to have problems burping tires a lot back when Stan's rims were, what, 18, 19 millimeters internally. But as rims got wider, as I started using 23, 25 millimeter wide rims, I didn't really have issues burping tires anymore. I've seen rims as wide as 30 or 35 millimeters uh, internally available mm -hmm. now, and you're seeing more and more of those. Do you think there is some point where, I mean, if you're just running a standard 2.3 to 2.5 inch trail tire, is there a point where you can go too wide? Yeah, there's there's definitely always a trade-off. With wheels, one thing I always tell people is you never you never get anything for free. <laughs> yeah. I mean there's anytime you gain something in one area, you're giving it up elsewhere. The wider rims are they're definitely getting heavier. There are some wide rims that are scary light, you know? And yeah. and I just don't trust them and, and wouldn't build with them. Some of them are available for custom building, some aren't. But yeah, and then also, you know, with tires if you have kind of a narrower tire on a really wide rim, as the rim gets wider and the, the tire beads move out, you're exposing your sidewalls more. Mm. So they're more vulner vulnerable to cuts and scrapes and stuff like that. So if you live in a rocky area and you're not running really wide tires, you don't want a really wide rim because you're going to start cutting tires more often. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So what does sort of the custom wheel customer look like? Is this something that is just for pro riders or people who have really specific needs or what kind of people are you seeing that are taking advantage of your service? Everybody, basically. You know, I, I definitely get some outliers, people who, you know, maybe they can't find something they're looking for. Like last year, I built a pair of 26 inch rim brake tubeless mountain bike wheels. Wow. <laughs> and you can't buy those anywhere else, you know, <laughs> other than a custom builder. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I, I had a guy who weighed 380 pounds who was trying to drop weight and i do some bike packing builds for like a dynamo front hub mm -hmm. um finding those built to a good rim is still kind of hard to do but yeah i mean it's mostly just your normal average riders the reason they come to me is because maybe they do want something specific or maybe they have no idea what they want because they are overwhelmed with the choices and they want someone who can steer them to something that's going to fit them well. Are people going to save money compared to like, you know, if somebody bought like a stock wheel set, how does that pricing compare to something that you could build up for them? It, it depends on what price level you're looking at. So as price goes up, you're, you're better off to go with a custom build. If you're looking at $400 wheels, I can't really build you anything that costs about $400 that's going to be 
decent. Right. If you're looking at thousand dollar, you know, or seven hundred dollars and up, really, then you should definitely talk to a custom builder, whether it's me or someone else or the local wheel guy at your bike shop or whoever. But mm-hmm. you know, at that price point, the options with custom wheels, you get you get more options for one thing. You know, you can get stuff to color coordinate your bike and. Yeah. You also you get a better build quality typically than what you get out of a factory wheel set, so mm-hmm. it should last a lot longer. And you're not going to get any proprietary spokes or anything like that. They're going to be hard to fix or, or to find even if you need it. Right. So can you explain what the difference between a wheel that is true and a wheel that is properly tensioned because I know there is a difference, but a lot of people don't necessarily understand what that is. Right. So talking about if a wheel is true, that means it's the rim is round. So it's not oval. It's not going to have a vertical hop when you spin it and it's straight. So it doesn't have a side to side wobble and it's dished properly, meaning that the rim is centered in the fork or the dropouts of the frame. That's pretty easy to do for the machines that build most stock and low-end wheels because they can basically measure where the rim is, and so they can adjust the spokes to get it where it needs to be. Spoke tension, however, is a lot harder for the machines to monitor and to keep even. So the key to a long-lasting wheel is you want the spoke tension to be as high as possible, and generally that's governed by the rim Mm -hmm. because if you go too high, you'll start cracking rims or pulling the nipples through the rim. And then you want the spoke tension to be even. So on the right side of the wheel, all of those spokes should be at about the same tension. You want it as close as possible. Hmm. On the left side of the wheel, all of those should be at about the same tension. The left and right sides are going to be at different tensions because of the geometry of the hub. Mm-hmm. But the key is each side, the tension should be even. The reason people run into problems is because these a lot of these machine-built wheels, they'll make them really true but the spoke tension will be all over the place. So it's it's very easy to have a wheel that's very true, but one spoke might be really, really tight, and the one next to it might be really, really loose. That causes problems when you ride the wheel and it, it goes through loading and unloading. Those lower tension spokes can actually become detensioned, basically, and they can kind of wiggle around. When they're not tensioned, the nipples can back off, which will cause them to go out of true. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they're moving around will cause them to fatigue and they start breaking early. Well, so how do you gauge that tension as a hand-built wheel guy? How do you feel sort of what that tension is to get it right? Forgetting the actual tension to where it needs to be as far as the number, the actual tension, I have a a tool that measures that. Mm -hmm. For making sure it's even, you could go through with the tool and check every single spoke, Mm -hmm. but that would take a long time. The easiest way you can actually tune it by ear kind of like a guitar okay so if you pluck a spoke it'll make a note and if you pluck the next one on that side it should make about the same tone Hmm. what i'll do is i'll kind of use my ear i'll get get the tension up maybe 75 percent of where it needs to be Mm -hmm. and then i'll go through each side of the wheel and get the tension even just by listening to the spokes basically Mm -hmm. and then i'll start looking at making adjustments to make it true make it straight Generally, once you get the tension even, it's going to be pretty close to true. There may be a few sections where you have to adjust a little bit here and there, but generally speaking, once once you get the tension even, it's going to be pretty close to true. Okay. So then from that point, all I have to do is just keep increasing the tension 
to get to where I ultimately want to be. So tension before you true. Yeah, you, you, you want to get the tension even, and then you want to get the wheel true, and then you want to finish tensioning the wheel. You want to do all, you want to get it straight and even at about 75% or so of the final overall tension, just because it's easier to work with. And then once you've got it true and the tension even, to increase the tension, you just go around the wheel basically and, and tighten each spoke maybe a quarter of a turn at a time. Definitely seems like it's an iterative process and one that requires a lot of patience, more than I personally have. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It definitely takes some time. I know I know. there's some folks claim they can build a pair of wheels in an hour and a half. Maybe they can. I don't know. It takes me about three hours for a pair, three okay. to four. And uh, But I take my time and make sure that that tension's even because that's, that's really the big key to, to making a wheel that's going to hold up long term. There's... A lot of different spoke options out there in terms of material, and then you, you have straight spokes, you have butted, double butted, triple butted, bladed. So, can you talk about some of the difference differences between the types of spokes and the advantages, and maybe why you would choose one type over another? Sure. So, straight gauge spokes are non-butted, so meaning generally they're going to be two millimeters in diameter from the elbow all the way up to the nipple. Those are really cheap, and that's what you see on most lower-end stock wheels because they are cheap. And because they're so thick, they're they're easy to build with. They don't twist a lot as you tighten the nipples. Mm-hmm. The downside is they're heavy because they're not butted. And actually, they're not as durable because a butted spoke, a double-butted spoke, which is what's most common, it's going to be two millimeters on the ends and then a thinner diameter in the middle. And that thinner middle section, when the spoke is loaded and the tension drops, you know, because there's weight on the rim or whatever, that thinner section will sort of absorb that a little better. And it puts less loading on the elbow of the spoke at the hub. So double-butted spokes have a much longer fatigue life than straight-gauge non-butted spokes. Hmm. So the advantage to straight-gauge, other than being cheap and easier to build with, because they are thicker, they're stiffer. So for wheels where you want as much stiffness as possible and you're not really worried about fatigue life, they're a good they're a good fit. So like BMX wheels, dirt jump wheels, free ride wheels, stuff like that. Those kind of wheels are going to get killed long before they die from fatigue. <laughs> you know, they're going right. to have like blunt trauma, so to speak. <laughs> So that's a good fit for those. For most mountain bike wheels, pretty much pretty much all of my build are all double-butted spokes. And then there's a few different gauges you can get. They're all 2 millimeters at the hub and 2 millimeters at the nipple. And then there's 1.8, 1.7, and 1.5 middle sections that you can choose from. As you go thinner, you save more weight, but you also lose stiffness. Mm-hmm. With an aluminum rim... I typically build with the thicker double-butted, either a 1.7 or 1.8. Mm-hmm. And then with uh, carbon rims, which are really stiff, I'll go. I'll use the 1.5s because we can save you save about 100 grams versus a 1.8 spoke. Oh wow! Wow. And because the rim is so stiff, you still end up with a really stiff set of wheels. Bladed spokes are made by taking a double-butted spoke and flattening the middle. For mountain bikes, there's really no use in bladed spokes. You see them a lot on higher-end carbon offerings. You'll see the Sapum cross trays or the DT Aerolites. Mm-hmm. For a builder, the advantages are they're a little bit easier to build with if you're not very experienced. 
because you can use a tool that fits over the blade that will hold it and keep the spoke from twisting Mm -hmm. as you tighten the nipple Ah. with an equivalent weight round spoke, which is going to be a really thin middle section. They tend to twist a good bit. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of have to have a feel for that and kind of have to know what you're doing when you're building with those to keep them from twisting too much and making sure when you send the wheel out, you've unwound all that twist and the spokes aren't stressed trying to twist or something like that. Right. Most of the mountain bike wheels I build are all round spoke, double butted. And then the gauge is chosen based on the rider weight, riding style, and whether it's carbon or aluminum rim. What do you ride personally? What's your personal wheel set? I have a pair of uh, Knox carbon rims. They're very first generation XCR rim, which has been replaced by a newer model now. I have a pair of Hope hubs. And I really wanted Industry 9 hubs, but they're expensive even at dealer cost. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and when I built them up, my wife was in school, so the hopes were a nice price to performance ratio. Yeah, the, the hopes were actually the hubs I used in my first nice hand-built wheel set. I think that's probably true for a lot of people because, like you said, they do hit a pretty good sweet spot of price and performance and weight. Yep, and they come in lots of colors, and the axles are adaptable, and... Well, cool. Thanks for joining us, Dustin. And remember, if you want to get in touch with Dustin, he's at southernwheelworks.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Peace.